Greetings, this is podcast number 100 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to come back to an issue we last discussed in depth over a year ago, immigration. We'll examine several aspects of this most contentious subject, and I'll present a way of looking at the situation you may not have heard before. In short, I'll tell you why... It's not about amnesty, it's about keeping our part of the bargain. Included will be some clips of right-wingers that'll make your hair stand on end. At the end of the podcast, I'll have an important programming note. Let's get right into it. My sources are the Gallup Polling Organization, the U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Service, L.A. Times and Washington Post articles reprinted elsewhere, National Public Radio, MediaMatters.org, MeetingGround.org, and Dictionary.com. The right is screaming awfully loudly these days about the need to deport the some 12 million undocumented immigrants currently residing in the United States. For example, here's Ann Coulter being questioned by Bill O'Reilly. I'd build a wall. In fact, I'd hire illegal immigrants to build the wall um, and, and throw out the illegals who are here. You would throw I, them out. I can't even... Uh, you would throw them yeah. out. Yeah. So... Yes. Uh, Did you hear her sadistic little double laugh? You would throw them yeah. out. Yeah. So... Yes. Uh, How would this deportation of a population the size of Ohio's be effectuated? J.D. Hayworth knows... Hayworth was a talk radio personality who was elected to Congress and served 12 years before being kicked out on his butt in the 2006 election. He's now back verbally polluting the airwaves. Hayworth has proposed that we simply issue an ultimatum. All undocumented immigrants must leave the country within 120 days. Those who fail to leave will be forcefully rounded up and deported. This is the hard right position. Deportation, plain and simple. As on most issues, we've discussed this many times before in relation to taxes, health care, and other subjects. See, for example, Podcast 48. As on most issues, the right does not represent public opinion on immigration. A USA Today Gallup poll earlier this year asked, quote, which comes closest to your view about what government policy should be toward illegal immigrants currently residing in the United States? Should the government, and the following choices are rotated, deport all illegal immigrants back to their home country, allow illegal immigrants to remain in the United States in order to work, but only for a limited amount of time, or allow illegal immigrants to remain in the United States and become U.S. citizens, but only if they meet certain requirements over a period of time? Close quote. The right-wing option of deporting all illegal immigrants back to their home country is supported by only 24% of Americans. I've seen other polls with up to 33% supporting this draconian point of view, but still a minority. 15% choose the allowed to remain but only to work here for a limited period of time option. And in this USA Today Gallup poll, 59% support the 
allow illegal immigrants to remain in the United States and become U.S. citizens, but only if they meet certain requirements over a period of time option. An L.A. Times Bloomberg poll just this month found that 63% of Americans support the path to citizenship approach as long as the applicants, quote, have no criminal record, pay a fine, submit fingerprints, and learn English, among other requirements, close quote. Even 58% of self-described conservatives and 65% of Republicans support this solution. I've seen other polls where the path to citizenship option gets a lesser degree of support than 59 or 63%, sometimes just a plurality. But in no scientific poll I've seen does the mass deportation option get more support than the path to citizenship. And mass deportation usually gets far less people advocating it. So Americans clearly don't support mass deportation, and any right-winger who tells you otherwise, you can confidently call either ignorant of the facts or a liar. The American public's rejection of mass deportation is why J.D. Hayworth and others advocating mass deportation lost their seats this past November. However, and this is what I want to address at some length in this podcast, even among the nearly 6 in 10 Americans in the Gallup poll who would provide a path to citizenship, there are too many who do so begrudgingly, as if they're being so magnanimous, with the attitude, oh, they're here, it's too much trouble to deport them, let them stay. This attitude shares with the right wing the underlying assumption that these undocumented workers have no right to stay here. But they do. Too many Americans talk like, over the past decades, we made it clear to would-be border jumpers that we don't want them. Too many Americans talk like we had our borders set up in a way obviously designed to keep people out. Like we had fences and walls and barbed wire and minefields and machine gun nests. Like we even built a moat and filled it with man-eating crocodiles. Like we issued proclamation after proclamation warning undocumented workers against coming here. Like these undocumented immigrants used nefarious means we could never have thought of to somehow defeat our best efforts to keep them out. And like all the time they've been here, We've been mercilessly seeking them out and deporting them, proving by our actions that we absolutely 100% don't want them here. Now, if all of that were even halfway true, then yes, there would be good grounds to deport these undocumented immigrants. And if all that were even halfway true, it wouldn't completely drive me up a wall. In fact, it wouldn't drive me up a wall at all, when I hear the likes of Sean Hannity incessantly bleeding, they didn't respect our sovereignty. They didn't follow our laws. We can't reward people who broke the law. Now, as you've been listening to me just now, I wonder if you were thinking, boy, that scenario Jack has laid out sounds pretty ass backwards. In fact, he's sounding like a right winger because the opposite of what he's saying is true. If you were thinking that, you'd be correct. When you earlier heard Bill O'Reilly questioning Ann Coulter, O'Reilly was skeptical about Coulter's call to, ha ha, yes, deport them all. Bill O'Reilly, in fact, has been one of the more honest right-wingers I've heard on this issue. Because on more than one occasion, he said that we, quote, lured, unquote, 
these undocumented immigrants here, and that's one reason why now deporting them wouldn't be a proper course of action to take. That's the key. You can't lure someone without making an offer to them that's attractive. And when they accept the offer, there's a contract formed. If not a legally enforceable one, then one that should be morally binding on a decent nation. Let's flesh this out a bit. Our offer was, Hey, we know we have these immigration laws on the books, but... Wink, wink. No problemo. We'd like you to come here and work. You're cordially invited to do so. We're leaving it real easy for you to sneak into the country. No fence, no wall, no border agents to speak of. If you accept our invitation, you'll find lots of jobs here for you. And don't worry, employers won't check very hard, if at all, to see if you have legitimate papers. In fact, if you work hard and keep your nose clean, we won't even come looking for you at all. You know what? Why don't you sneak your family in as well, or start a family here, and send your kids to school here? That's okay by us. Was this not an offer that we made? Was this not what we asked them to do by both our words and deeds in some respects on some occasions and by our silence and lack of action on others? Was it not eminently reasonable to be expected that these dirt floor poor economic refugees from Latin America would accept our invitation? Remember, these undocumented workers are escaping poverty, not of the, I have to drive an old car kind, not of the, I can't afford a big screen TV kind. No, they're coming from poverty of the, I can't afford to feed my children kind, the I can't afford the medicine my child needs kind, the my children are dying in front of me and I must do something about it kind. So how? Consistent with elementary principles of human fairness and decency, could we now suddenly turn around and say, after decades of behavior to the contrary, as some right-wingers like Ann Coulter would like us to, Hey, you're here illegally! How dare you show such a lack of respect to our sovereignty! How dare you so brazenly break our laws! We must deport you! You don't let someone establish a life here, and then after you've squeezed every last drop of cheap labor out of them, change the rules of the game and tell them to get lost. You don't exploit people and then throw them away as if they're so much garbage. Unless you're certain right-wingers. Thank goodness most of the American public rejects the right-wing approach. Now, if you like to root your arguments in analogous legal concepts, I've got you covered. For those who like a bit of a theoretical approach, a bit of legal analogy, please try this on for size. I'll start off by discussing three legal terms that are quite instructive. The first two concepts are quite simple. De jury, two words, D-E, new word, J-U-R-E, De jury means according to the strict letter of the law. De facto, again two words, D-E, new word, F-A-C-T-O, means in actuality. 
what's in effect, although not formally recognized, what's really being done, even if not legally or officially established. The third concept takes a bit of explaining. It's called equitable estoppel. Before offering the definition, I'll give an example of equitable estoppel. Quote, if a landlord agrees to allow a tenant to pay the rent 10 days late for six months, it would be unfair to allow the landlord to bring a court action in the fourth month to evict the tenant for being a week late with the rent. The landlord would be stopped from asserting his right to evict the tenant for late payment of rent. Close quote. So a definition of equitable estoppel would be a doctrine that, quote, bars a person from adopting a position in court that contradicts his or her past statements or actions when that contradictory stance would be unfair to another person who relied on the original position, close quote. Would be unfair to another person who relied on the original position. That's the crucial element. The past statements or actions can include silence and taking no action. Do you see where I'm going here? The U.S. de jury immigration policy forbids entry and work here without formal permission and official documentation. The U.S. de facto immigration policy has for decades allowed entry and work here without formal permission and official documentation. Millions of impoverished Latin Americans took us up on our offer, relied on our de facto immigration policy to start a life here. The concept of equitable estoppel morally bars our government from now adopting a position that contradicts the de facto immigration policy because that contradictory stance would be unfair to the undocumented immigrants who reasonably relied on the de facto policy. I'm not saying the doctrine of equitable estoppel is enforceable in a court of law on behalf of undocumented immigrants. I am saying the doctrine of equitable estoppel is applicable by analogy. In other words, the same elementary principles of human fairness and decency that underlay this doctrine. The reason this legal doctrine arose in the first place, these elementary principles of human fairness and decency are applicable to our everyday lives and therefore to our dealings with undocumented immigrants. Simply put, you don't lead a person down a path and then pull the rug out from under them. After the break, we'll reply to a critical listener and then I'll further elucidate the issue by playing you clips of two right-wingers who almost make Ann Coulter seem nice by comparison. Almost. My girlfriend doesn't call people names. She doesn't think that liberals are insane. My girlfriend is not emboldened by her looks. My girlfriend does not write hateful books. But she can cook So I guess my girlfriend Is no end Coulter My girl has a soul, sir She got no chips on her shoulder And I thank God that she's no end Coulter Your one-minute voting report 
Thank you for voting. We're still number six at PodcastAlley.com. As I record this, it's right near the end of the month, and I think we'll hold our position. By the time you're listening to this, it may very well be the new month. It may be July already. So, since voting starts anew each month on PodcastAlley.com, once July comes around, please do go vote again for Blast the Right there. And thanks to each of you who wrote a five-star review for Blast the Right on the iTunes Music Store. Let's keep them coming in as well. Spreading the progressive word is really what it's all about. Let's go through an email I received which makes some points which need addressing. It's from Bruce in Virginia. Quote, Hi Jack, I listened to your podcast number 38 on the issue of immigration. Your argument is interesting, but I don't agree that everyone here illegally has a right to stay and even become citizens because that has been our de facto policy. Isn't the logical extension of your argument that everyone in the world has the right to U.S. citizenship? Close quote. My reply is, if they got here, yes, it would apply to anyone. Now we can change our de facto ND jury policies and make it clear they're not welcome. Then people who sneak in in the future wouldn't have the right to stay. The key is whether up until this point someone relied on our behavior and would suffer greatly if we suddenly changed our rules applicable to them in an ex post facto way. Bruce went on to say, quote, The de facto policy of the state of Virginia is to do nothing about people driving 80 miles per hour on I-95 between D.C. and Richmond. But that doesn't mean that I don't deserve a speeding ticket if I drive 80 on I-95, does it? Close quote. I don't find the analogy persuasive because of the difference in impact. Being lured to invest 20 years of your life working in and establishing a family in another country is a bit more of a substantial thing to suddenly take back from someone than giving a driver a speeding ticket despite the fact they usually wouldn't get one at the speed they're going. The speeding ticket in the circumstances described is a perhaps unfair annoyance. Deportation in the circumstances we're talking about is a morally indefensible destruction of a life. Finally, Bruce suggested, quote, at the moment, my opinion is that we should make it harder for illegals to get work here. That should result in higher wages for U.S. citizens who are willing to do the work. Close quote. This is the, it hurts low-income workers argument. Do these immigrants lower wages, and if so, by how much? The studies are mixed. And I think that's the wrong question. The correct question to ask is, why are there plenty of places in America where there are no immigrants to speak of and U.S. citizens are still working at low poverty level wages? The answer is largely twofold. First, the minimum wage until just recently in the newly Democratic controlled Congress hadn't been raised for 10 years. It lost over 40% of its purchasing power since 1968. Congress did just raise the minimum wage from 5 and change to 7 and change over two years but that's not nearly enough. Just to keep pace with inflation since 1968, the minimum wage would be nine and change. Raise it to that, or better yet, to a living wage level of 10 or $11 an hour. And then, 
take care of the second reason for rampant sub-poverty wages, which is the decline of unions and the increased bargaining power they allow workers to wield. So in addition to raising the minimum wage much more, we need to take steps like passing the Employee Free Choice Act in Congress. That measure would make it easier for workers to form unions, to reverse the decades of union busting started under Ronald Reagan. Call your two senators and tell them to support the Employee Free Choice Act, 202-225-3121. If we put a higher wage floor under workers and enable all workers who want to to form unions, immigrants and present U.S. citizens would all have higher decent wages. In addition, the path to citizenship would then mean that the undocumented immigrants would have no reason to live in fear, no reason to accept sub-minimum wage level jobs. And finally, when low-income workers earn more money, they spend it, and that spending has a multiplier effect throughout the economy. That multiplier effect will result in an increased demand for goods and services, and there will be an accompanying increase in the number of jobs needed to provide those goods and services. And then the spending of these newly hired workers, protected by a high wage floor in their union, will expand the multiplier effect even more, and so on and so on. I believe that a much higher minimum wage, plus stronger protection for unions, will lead to more jobs at higher wages than simplistically saying that no immigrants should be on the path to citizenship because they lower wages for Americans. And remember, the 12 million are here, and they're clearly not all going to be deported, so all workers would be better off with the path to citizenship, higher minimum wage, union protection solution I suggest, than by any other solutions I've heard. There's one more aspect of this immigration issue I'd like to address before we get to the clips from right-wingers. The way the right-wing hyper-focuses on the border You'd think that all of the 12 million undocumented immigrants entered the country that way. But by varying estimates, between 33 and 60 percent of immigrants presently here illegally actually entered the country properly but have overstayed their visas. A recent study reported by NPR put the number at 45 percent, a good middle-of-the-road stat. Well... The 9-11 hijackers were some of the millions of immigrants here illegally who entered properly but overstayed their visas. Might we not reasonably assume that at the same time the 9-11 hijackers entered the U.S., other Al-Qaeda cells entered the same way, properly with visas, and then simply overstayed the legal duration of their visit? Why not go find all those people? It's among them that other Al-Qaeda cells are most likely to be found, especially cells that are now long established and that could have all the preparations in place for further atrocities. Why isn't the right jumping up and down screaming about finding all the millions of overstayed visa people? I agree we do need a secure border because Al-Qaeda members could sneak across the Mexican border as well. But I find the right wing's fixation on the border and ignoring of the visa overstay issue to be suspect. Maybe the clips will provide a clue as to why that border fixation. Do you know Michelle Malkin? If you don't, here's a fine introduction to the grace and kindness of this woman. If you're already familiar with her, 
Please let me know if the following doesn't top anything else you've ever heard her say. Bill O'Reilly again plays the reasonable man here. In your neighborhood, if there were a legal alien living across the street and that person was working, would you call ICE and demand to have that person deported, yes or no? If I knew somebody was an illegal alien and uh, I knew that their employer knew that they were illegal alien, um, yes, I think it's incumbent on citizens to do that. Now, here's the problem. We all know that ICE has limited resources. There are some 2,000 enforcement agents to do the job. But you would want that person job. across the street deported. If people are breaking the law, there should be consequences for that. Nice, Michelle. The East German Stasi secret police way. Neighbor spying on neighbor. Neighbor turning in neighbor. Why stop there? Why not let's go the whole nine yards? Let's get the kids involved. Let's have children turn in their parents. Isn't that how the East German Stasi secret police did it? You can just ask the kids of anyone you suspect, where are mommy and daddy from? You can even urge kids to take the initiative themselves to on their own turn their evil illegal immigrant not respecting our sovereignty parents over to immigrations and customs enforcement ice this type of evil empire citizen spying on citizen would fit in nicely with the right wing's adoption and embrace of the interrogation torture techniques of the soviet union which we detailed in last week's podcast the final clip is from syndicated talk show host neil bortz uh, during the warm-up hour of the Neil Bort Show, we came up with a marvelous suggestion for solving two of America's problems at the same time. Uh, disposing of nuclear waste and doing something about the illegal aliens in this country. And that is, if the evil listeners to talk radio can just succeed in killing the amnesty bill. Uh, or, if we can at least succeed in getting an amendment to the bill that says before you can get a visa to work here you have to go home okay then all of the mexicans who are here as they leave the country we can give them a lovely parting gift like they do on jeopardy we can give them a little yeah a, a little big of nuclear waste from one of our nuclear power plants or maybe one of our nuclear military vessels. Give them a little bag of nuclear waste as your lovely parting gift, AMF, which means adios, my friend. Send them a back across the border to Mexico. Tell them it's a tortilla warmer. You know, to put it in the tortilla box and the tortillas will stay warm. And, and they will. And you'll be able to find them at night, too, because they'll glow. And this will be a big hit. I am completely overwhelmed by Bortz's malicious and hateful attitude. Why such venom? Why such a gleeful fantasy about these impoverished immigrants being harmed? What did these poor souls ever do to you, Neil? They obviously didn't take a job from you. Did a gang of them beat you up or something? Bortz says he's a libertarian, but I can't help but feel there's some ugly racial animus underlying his invective. But to be fair, I don't know what's in Bortz's heart, so maybe better to speculate about the following. Maybe it's a conscience issue. On a subconscious level, at least, 
Bortz feels guilty about how we've taken advantage of these undocumented workers to better our lives. Whether or not this is in the uncharted regions of the Bortz psyche, let me explain how the undocumented immigrants have improved the lives of countless Americans because this fact should loom large over the immigration debate as well. It should be something we're all aware of, both those who advocate deportation and those who don't, but are begrudging in their acceptance of the undocumented workers as their neighbors with rights. The bottom line is, countless Americans have lived far more comfortable lives than they otherwise would have because of these undocumented immigrants. The best way I can explain this is to read the following passage from Barbara Ehrenreich's book, Nickel and Dimed, on not getting by in America. Quote, When someone works for less than she can live on, when, for example, she goes hungry so that you can eat more cheaply and conveniently, then she has made a great sacrifice for you. She has made you a gift of some part of her abilities, her health, and her life. The working poor, as they are approvingly termed, are in fact the major philanthropists of our society. They neglect their own children so that the children of others will be cared for. They live in substandard housing so that other homes will be shiny and perfect. They endure privation so that inflation will be low and stock prices high. To be a member of the working poor is to be an anonymous donor, a nameless benefactor to everyone else. Close quote. So we owe these major philanthropists, these anonymous donors, these nameless benefactors. We owe them our gratitude. We owe them our profound respect. And we owe them permanent residence and a path to citizenship. It's not amnesty. It's keeping our part of the bargain. A deal we've benefited mightily from. And even if we hadn't, a deal we'd still be morally obligated to keep. We progressives need to raise this point and add it to the national discourse on immigration. Doing so will, I hope, take the sting out of that eminently misleading one-word right-wing talking point, amnesty. We progressives must tirelessly repeat it's not amnesty, it's merely fulfilling our part of the deal we made with these undocumented immigrants, these brother and sister human beings. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing Blast the Right into Google, and I'm the first result. A special shout-out to all you Live 365 and 365 Red Dragon listeners. Great to have you on board. Please consider coming over to the podcast homepage, subscribing for free, and you can download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. Thanks to Gabe from the University of Washington, Scott from YourAverageIdiot.com, Kit from Rocky Point, North Carolina, and Zach from Colorado for help with this podcast. If you're subscribed through iTunes and you haven't written a five-star review for Blast the Right on the iTunes Music Store, you don't have to write a lot, just a sense or two. How long you've been listening and what you like most about the podcast. A bunch of right-wingers go and give me a one-star review and that really lowers my average. I'm trying to get my average on there back up. That will also, believe me, 
help garner lots of new listeners. Here's your programming note. After 100 podcasts without skipping a week, I'm taking next week off. The week of July 4th. We'll be back the following week. That week also on Monday, July 9th, we'll have a Blast the Right live call-in show on blogtalkradio.com. Go to blogtalkradio.com, search for Blast the Right, and you can get all the details. Our guest will be Corey Burnell of ChristianExodus.org. According to their website, Christian Exodus is, quote, moving thousands of Christians to South Carolina to reestablish constitutionally limited government founded upon Christian principles, close quote. You'll be able to call in and talk to Corey Burnell as well as to other callers. Monday, July 9th at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And now a word from the Progressive Podcast Network. The Progressive Podcast Network. Now we are the media. Listen to your media. Take your country back. ProgressivePodcastNetwork.org Music credits. The break music was My Girlfriend is No Ann Coulter by Lucky Man Clark and Not the One Blues by Bernsheet Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of Impeach Cheney First by Bill Oliver and the Cheney Gang. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on the data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep all those great comments coming in. Write to me, rational at roadrunner.com. As I say every week, it seems, I'm still running behind, but I'm catching up. And hopefully next week, I'll completely catch up with the mail. So please be patient. I will get back to you. You can call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also leave a message by using Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Impeach Cheney first. It can still get worse. After bushes and cups, it's liable to get rough. Impeach Cheney first. Impeach Cheney first. Knock him off his perch. He's the orchestrator, the real Darth Vader. He's the one with a purse. Get the wizard behind the curtain for riding shotgun. Cheney fast.